Let me go back and read. We were actually just finishing up on verse 15. We pretty much had finished it up. I'll pick back up. I'm going to read from 1 John 2. Uh, I'll, I'll read from verse 7 down to 15. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because the darkness hath blinded his eyes. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Remember that word there for children isn't describing uh, age, but simply offspring. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, these are uh, describing maturity level, not or uh, age basically, younger, not uh, just offspring. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him, that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we left off on verse 15. And really what he's doing is, is uh, he is talking about faithfulness, but he's really doing the age-old dilemma of there's God's way and then there's, there's man's way. There's a difference from those who are followers of God as to, opposed to those who are not followers of God. And he's really going to continue on with that here as we go forward. So let's pick up here in verse 16. He's, he's carrying the same idea as we go into verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now let me say something here. Some people take this... What would some people possibly misteach from this passage? Gnosticism kind of taught something that would be a misuse that you'd hear people today say. Basically that everything of the world is sinful, right? Notice the commas on here. For all that is in the world, well, what are you talking about? Are you talking about everything? Well, he begins to define it. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Notice the commas there. He's not saying, go ahead, Larry. That goes God's laws. That's exactly right. There, I mean, there's tons. Of, go ahead, Jerry. Yeah, I mean, there's, name some things in the world that are not bad. What was that? Trees. Yeah, trees. Uh, there's all kinds of enjoyable things in life that, have, that are not bad. When he begins to talk about these things that, as Larry said, are against the will of God, or these things that are sinful, he begins to point them out. So he's not saying everything in the world is bad. Now, Gnostics believed everything regarding the world was inherently sinful. That's why they struggled with the fact that Jesus was actually... God in the flesh, because in their mind, if he was actually in the flesh, then he's, he's of the world, and so therefore he's inherently sinful. Uh, and that's what Gnosticism really drove on, and I think that's what we find here. Really, I think we're kind of, he's gonna, actually going to spend a little bit of time kind of refuting that idea as we continue to go on. For all that is in the world, well, as we've already noted by the 
commas here, the punctuation, he's talking about the sinfulness of the world. And what he does is, is he goes back and he summarizes this in three different areas. Uh, it, really the equivalent of, you know, if we were going to list sin, we wouldn't have time to present a Bible lesson or a sermon where we just mentioned every single sin. But what we could do is, is we'd break it down into a scriptural three-point lesson, right? Only way you can do sermons, three points. I'm just kidding for anybody who's watching this. Uh, I actually saw a guy on Facebook this week say he apologized because his sermon was 47 minutes. I responded and said, mine are always at least that long. I don't even look at the clock anymore. And I got a couple of thumbs up and somebody said, quit apologizing. The lesson should take as long as the lesson should take, right? Everything in the world is not sinful. He breaks it down into some categories for us. Lust of the flesh. Well, this would be the desires that spring from man's desires and passions. But this isn't necessarily all lustful thing, things. Uh, he's going to cover that down here, but it could include lustful things. So, you got the lust of the eyes, right? That's the desires that are aroused by appeals from, uh, made from our eyes. So up here, the lust of the flesh might be things that your body enjoys. Could be lustful, may not be lustful. However, aren't normally things that are lustful started here? before they become lusts of the flesh. Yeah, so without going back and spending too much time on it, those are very close together. Then you got the pride of life. Well, that's the vainglory of man or his pride, and that's the basis for all sin in general, right? Um, why, do people, why do people steal? It could be, could be lust of the flesh based on what they're stealing. Could be lust of the eyes. Could be pride. Uh, person steals a nice car because they want to be seen in something that's really nice, right? Something other people don't have. So I mentioned it down here as I tried to break it down a little bit. Man in general has a very serious problem in allowing the desires of the flesh. That could be things like things of a sexual nature, things like drugs, alcohol, could be a number of issues. And the lust of the eyes, again, that could be things of a sexual nature, could be, could be covetousness. Uh, I, I desire these things because I'm covetous. Uh, allows those things to be controlled by their pride, which doesn't care about the consequence of sin or even denies the sin completely. These things actually are done because of this. Really. It's a prideful person who is willing to succumb to the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh, uh, either because they don't care about the consequences of what they do or they outright reject that the things are, are inherently sinful or what have you, right? Does uh, anybody know someone who... Oh, go ahead, Jerry. I was going to say, isn't it a, a, a kind of a funny thing that the LGBTQ community is using pride as a, a pride flag, a pride month? It's exactly what it is. I've seen a lot of... I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of things on Facebook about that this month, both ways. One of the things that I, I have, the, one of the things that bothers me the most in society, I have to be very careful. So I work with a number of people who are uh, LGBTQ, uh, and I disagree with them, and they disagree with me, and that's fine. Uh, and they can do what they want, and they, they're allowed to believe what they want, and I should be allowed to believe what I want. But is that the general message that is normally promoted? The, the, what's promoted is, is they are right and I am wrong. I'm fine with you can believe what you want. Please just don't hinder in on my beliefs. 
that is not the push we're, we're seeing from society. We have cancel culture going on where if you want to adhere to Bible teaching, you're basically told that you're prejudiced, biased, bigoted, hateful, whatever. I work with people like that, and I've never said a word to them. And for the most part, very few of them have ever, they're not ones that go out and force that down your throat. What's the lady on TV that I can't stand that always does that? Um, she, Rosie O'Donnell. Am I allowed to even say that since we're on YouTube? Rosie O'Donnell, who knows who she is? What is she's all about that right there. That's all you ever hear out of her mouth is, is about that topic. Now, there are other people on, on media and so forth that have that lifestyle where they don't, they're not shoving it down your throat. That's my real problem with the culture we live in is cancel culture. Uh, they can believe what they want, but you can't believe what you want because if you do, you're a hateful, uh, spiteful person, right? How many of you guys have ever kidnapped somebody and forced them to become a Christian? It's not going to happen. If they don't want to become Christians, they don't have to become Christians. They can do what they want. We already know that you can't force somebody. That's the equivalent of baptizing babies, right? You can't force people to be Christians. They have, that's something they have to choose on their own. But yeah, that's, we've seen a lot of that lately. Go ahead, Larry. Well, as Christians, we do. Most of the people, I would, I would suggest probably many of the people that claim uh, to disagree with that or what have you are, they either don't claim to be Christians, maybe they're atheists or agnostics. Yeah, and I work, now I do work with some people who uh, live that lifestyle and do still claim to be Christians. That baffles me more than the atheist or the agnostic who chooses a, a different lifestyle than the person who claims to be a Christian but believes that, simply because it doesn't line up with Scripture, right? If, uh, if I totally disagreed with the Boy Scout manual, uh, I wouldn't go around telling people I was a Boy Scout. It's just not logical. I mean, you go to Matthew 19, 1 through 9, who's Jesus talking about getting married? Man's going to leave father and mother and cleave to his wife. That's who's authorized to be married, men and women. That's what the scriptures teach. So you can have people claim to be Christians and flat out reject Matthew 19, 1 through 9, Matthew 5, 32, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We can continue on with the list. Romans, Paul talks about it. I mean, there's so many passages that deal with it. It's just not logical. If you want to claim to be an atheist or an agnostic, I perfectly get that, and it is logical. But if you want to be, a, if you say you're a Christian, uh, like the person you know, it, it just it isn't logical. You can try to have that conversation, but then again, uh, if they don't know enough to know that that's not logical, they're probably not going to get that anyways. Not to suggest that you should ever give up on them. I wouldn't give up on them. You never know. Uh, I read an article yesterday from a woman who uh, said that she had uh, lived in the LGBTQ lifestyle for a number of years and that um, she had realized that she was wrong and she decided she was not going to live that lifestyle anymore and she was going to follow the biblical pattern. I don't remember what religious group she claimed to be with, but at any point. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now, we already just talked about the lusts, right? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Uh, all of that stuff that people do, that's all, gonna, that's all eventually going to be done away with, right? This world's not going to last forever. 
uh, and all of the things that we have done in this life because of those things, there's going to be an account for when we go back and look at like John 12, 48. Uh, we talk about you know, 1 John um, 1, 7 through 9. We could look at a number, a number of other verses. There's going to be an accounting for those things that we've done that do not line up with the Scriptures. The world's not going to be here anymore, but all those things that we did, they're still there, and we're still going to be accountable for them. So, the world will pass away and the lust thereof. We know that the world is going to pass away, 2 Peter 3.10. What religious group should we know this passage for? Actually, there's a couple of different teachings in particular. One religious group's really well known for knocking on your door. Jehovah's Witnesses. Take them over to 2 Peter 3.10 and read that passage for them, and they'll say, well, that's not actually what it means. Uh, it doesn't really mean that. It means something else. No, it means exactly what it says, and there's other verses that go along with it. Uh, it also refutes the idea of... Anybody got another one? find it quite often taught in Baptist churches, and every community church, pretty much. Premillennialism, right? Uh, when Jesus comes back, that is the end of it all. That's not what premillennialism teaches. They teach Jesus is going to come back, going to set up a kingdom... It's not going to be the end of the world. He's going to reign for a thousand years. People have a second chance to obey the gospel and a whole bunch of other stuff that's not found in the Bible. Uh, this world is going to pass away and all the lusts thereof when Jesus comes back. It's all going to be burned up. And with it, every lustful pleasure. However, what will not be burned up is the record of all those things that you had done while you were living here on this planet. And I would, su I would suggest that we have a lot of people who live in this world and they live, they live very sinful lives uh, and they, for the most part, think that if their goods outweigh their bads, they get to go to heaven. How many of you guys hear that on a regular basis when someone dies from one of your friends or somebody you know, right? So-and-so died, they went to heaven and you're like, did we know the same person? There's, there's no way. <laughs> So anybody So for anybody watching this on YouTube who can't hear, they just mentioned Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa claimed to be a follower of Christ. Uh, of course, we know that uh, she never obeyed the gospel. Does anybody have a passage that pops right into your mind when you begin to think about a person like Mother Teresa? What would you say, Matthew 7, 21, 22? Go ahead. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, there's a lot of people. We're surrounded by a lot of religious people. Uh, but for, the, for many of those religious people, and I have to say probably a lot of them have simply been deceived. Uh, I'm not saying they're dishonest. I'm not saying they're not sincere. I'm just saying many of them have been deceived, and they haven't done the things that they need to do. So when this world is gone, and all the... All the lust thereof have disappeared as, the, uh, as everything else is gone. They're still going to be accountable, even though they were good people, many of them, even though they were sincere people. Uh, I was religious for quite a while while I was trying to figure out how to be a Christian, but I, I didn't know the truth. I'd never met a Christian, uh, so I'd never been taught the gospel. It wasn't that I was... Uh, a deceitful person or trying to do wrong, I just didn't know. And that's, I think that honestly is the majority of people around us. 
I think the majority of people around us have been deceived by other religious groups, false teachings, such as certain things are okay. They call themselves Christians, even though they do things that the Bible contradicts. And I honestly think that's really the majority of people around us. There are, don't get me wrong, there are people who flat out hate the Bible and don't want to be Christians. They're atheists or agnostics. You have a lot of people who have been misled by people like Oprah. Who's ever watched Oprah talk about spiritual things? Miss Oprah, who said, you know, people just don't know. There's so many different ways uh, to heaven. Anybody ever read that in their Bible? I think we cover that also in Matthew chapter 7, specifically verses 13 and 14. Right? There's a narrow way, and then there's that broad gate, which is what Oprah is teaching. She's teaching there's just all kinds of ways. Well, this world's going to pass away, but the people who are in it, they're still going to be accountable. So you've got those that have lived in the lust thereof, and then you have other people. You have those that doeth the will of God, abideth forever. That actually goes back again to Matthew chapter 7, doesn't it? He that doeth the will of God. Those who do the will of God, they build on eternal foundations, which result in eternal life in heaven. The earth is going to be done away with. We can build on a foundation here on earth. We could build, what, what, success, physical things, houses, whatever. That's all going to be a done away with at one point. So why would we choose to build on that foundation when there's an eternal foundation we could be laying up here on this earth, right? There's, it's like a lot of people struggle with the idea of the church. I mean, we are a physical body, but we're also a spiritual body, right? Uh, and we're laying up our foundations right now. What's he doing here? Well, he's taking the temporary nature of this physical world and he's contrasting it with the permanence of the spiritual world. But again, if you go back and think, and I know that sometimes we all get busy in our life and we, we constantly are thinking about physical things, and that's because we have all kinds of stuff we have to do, obligations. Uh, oftentimes we get, we get sidetracked where we think about the physical things more than the spiritual things because, to be honest, the physical things are the ones that are causing trouble in our life. He here is making a distinction between the two as he contrasts them. The one is only physical, where the other one is eternal. All right? uh, you think about hardships in this life, and some people have harder lives than other people. Think about the guy that says he's living in a van with his wife and dog. His life's not near as comfortable as mine. Now, I don't know the decisions that, that got him there. It could, it could have all been his fault. It may not have been. Some of the things he said weren't, did not appear to be his fault. Some people struggle in this life, uh, but you can struggle in this life and be a faithful Christian and still come out on the other side of eternity and have a completely enjoyable life where you don't have to deal with any of the hardships that you had to deal with here. And I think oftentimes that's not what's on the forefront of our mind. But again, the world succumbs so much of our time because that's all the struggles and trials we have are normally of a physical nature, right? It's not... There are spiritual battles we're fighting, and usually those are temptations from within. So in view of the temporary nature of the world, it's illogical for one to cling to this life or the things in this life when it's going to be dissolved and cease to exist. We've talked about that. Uh, Larry could have a GTO in his garage, and he could rub it every week with a diaper. And don't get me wrong, I'd love to have a GTO in my garage, and I'd like to rub it with a diaper every week. But what happens when Larry dies and his GTO is in there? Who's going to get it? <laughs> he's going to leave it to somebody in the will and it won't be Jerry, right? Somebody else is going to get your stuff when you die. You're not taking it with you. Wouldn't there be a much better use of your time, maybe with your family or 
maybe trying to spread the gospel or whatever, as opposed to rubbing your car with a diaper, you know, five times a week. I don't know a better way to say it. It's, I mean, get me wrong. We all, there's nothing wrong with a polished car. I'm just saying we sometimes spend time on areas that really have no benefit, at, at least not of a spiritual nature, uh, and we don't use our time wisely. And I, I'm going to say I'm as guilty of that as anybody, right? There are times where I, I could probably be doing something else on behalf of the church where maybe I'm tired or what, I just decide not to do it. I'd say we all probably fall into that category at some time if we're going to be honest with ourselves. The tense of the word here, passeth, is present middle indicative. So what it means is, is it is passing away. right? It is slowly passing away. If you don't believe that, walk out into the parking lot and look at my 2005 Dodge Caravan. Guess what you will find around the bottom of the rocker panels? Rust. And guess what my knees do when I get up off the ground? <laughs> They pop. Preterists teach that things in this world are not, they're not dying and getting older anymore, right? And we won't go into uh, some of that nonsense. It's pretty clear this world is passing away, right? Things, I was just telling Sam, I got to change the thermostat housing on my car. I don't even know how it's not pouring water out of it because it's all rusted and pitted. Things get old and they break down. Go ahead, Larry. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because. It's not really that big of a deal for me to have to replace a part of my car because it's passing away, but it is a big deal when our loved ones and our friends and family pass away and they've never obeyed the gospel. Um, how many of you guys all have family members who have not yet obeyed the gospel? I was talking to someone today uh, about family members. I have no fam other than my family, I have no family members that have obeyed the gospel. Uh, that is not really a funeral that I want to go to. Let me, let me rephrase that. Those are not funerals, plural, that I want to go to. And not only that, they all have families now. So their false teaching, we were raised as Catholics, their false teaching has been passed down to their families. And so not only were they deceived, now exponentially that deceit is causing millions upon millions upon millions to be lost. Somebody had once said that um, they were talking about a person who had, I can't remember what denominational group he grew up in. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, I know the gentleman. He had grown up in a denominational uh, background. He's actually from Fort Wayne. Um, and he became a Christian. His wife became a Christian. Their children became Christians. Uh, his daughter married a gospel preacher. Their children, I would assume, you hope, will become Christians. Look at how, again, exponentially one person turns into saved, whereas today we're constantly seeing exponentially people becoming unsaved. It works both ways. Sadly, uh, I would say that we are outnumbered in exponentially saving people as opposed to the world. It's pretty sad. Verse 18, little children, if you look the word up here, it is saints. We're not talking about immature in age, just as he earlier had referred to them as uh, little children or the offspring of God. He's doing the same thing here, right? He's talking about Christians. He's not talking about immaturity or mature level. He's talking about the simple fact that they are the offspring of God. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, I want to point this out. How many of you guys have ever heard about the Antichrist? Trump was the Antichrist. Remember when he got elected, Trump was the Antichrist. And then 
Biden got elected. Guess who's the Antichrist now? Biden's the Antichrist. For a while it was Obama. He's the Antichrist. Everybody's waiting for that one guy. Let's keep reading. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, multiple ones. I guess it was Biden and Trump and Obama and Clinton. Uh, the Pope. People have got the Pope out there for being the Antichrist. Whereby we know that it is the last time. All right, well, we're not going to go back and dive into Revelation and talk. Um, what we're going to do is just simply break this down in a very logical way. Let's start with the last time. What's he talking about? Well, I would go back to Peter, and then I would go back to Joel. When he talks about the last time, we are still in the last time. Okay, that word time... Ora means set time. That's all it means. It means a set time or a set dispensation of time. Okay? We are in the last dispensation or the last days. Right? Here in John, he calls it the last time. But Peter also calls it the last days, or he's still talking about this set time. Prior to this, we had two different ages prior to Peter speaking. We had the patriarchal age where you had followers of God. Then you had the law of Moses, so you had the first dispensation, and you had the law of Moses, that's the second dispensation. Then you have the last time, the last dispensation, the last days. Notice what he tells the Jews in the crowd. They see all the miraculous taking place. They're trying to get figured out what's going on, and he just refers them back to Joel. He says, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, when Peter says this is that, we can be assured that by inspiration, Peter knows what this is. He says, and it shall come to pass in the last days, he's quoting from Joel, specifically by memory, chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, he quotes from Joel chapter 2. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your son and your daughter shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. That was by Joel. And Peter says, what you're seeing, this is that. It's what he was talking about. And this was going to take place in the last days, the last dispensation. Okay. Well, here's what we also know from John. It is this last time or this last dispensation, and there are antichrists. Remember, we started off, there's the patriarchal, then there's the law of Moses, then there's the Christian dispensation, or those who are followers of Christ. And in the last dispensation, there will be those who are anti-Christ, specifically anti-Christs. Uh, anything opposed to Christ is going to fall under the category of anti-Christs, right? Anti-Christs shall come. Those are opponents of Christ or those opposed to Christianity, specifically his teaching. Jerry said he knew somebody who claimed to be a Christian, but they believe they can live whatever lifestyle they want. They're opposed, whether they like to say it or not, to the doctrine of Christ. According to the definition here, would I be wrong in, in stating that they are antichrists? He says many antichrists are going to come, they shall come, in this last time. Those are people opposed to Christ, and it's through Christ and also through the Holy Spirit of these inspired men who gave us the teachings of Christ. So whether you outright reject Christ, and many would say, I don't reject Christ, I just don't agree with that. Or whether you reject the teachings that came through Christ and His appointed men, if you oppose either one of those, you are 
under the category here of antichrist. I, don't, I know that may come across as harsh to anybody watching this on, online, but I mean, that's what it says. It's very clear. We're talking about opposition to Christ or His teachings. And if you oppose His teachings, you automatically oppose Him. Right? If, uh, if, let's say that there was a specific political figure that I like to follow, but I only agreed with about 2% of what he said. Right? I, I disagree with that. I oppose it. I oppose that. I oppose that. I oppose that. I would be anti whatever that person is, right? I'm not in unity with that person. I'm not in alignment with what they teach. I oppose the majority of what it is, so therefore I, I oppose their doctrine. I oppose that person. There may be a few things I fall in alignment with, and you've got people today who call themselves Christians, and they fall in alignment with certain things like love your neighbor, although what they really mean is, is everybody can do what they want and nobody says anything bad about anybody else. That's really what that means. That's, that's the, I received an article, that, I won't say who I got it from. I received an article this week, actually a picture, a screenshot. It was talking about how the elders of the congregation had studied about women's roles. I don't remember what else it was, but that they were desirous in moving forward in unity. So all the people that agree with it, they want to move forward with those people because they agree with them. But do you think they're going to be in unity with anyone who stands up and says, this is not biblical, we are not going forward with this? Do you think, that, do you think they're going to move together in unity? What are they really saying when they said, we want to move together in unity? We're going to do what we want. And if you don't like it, there's the door. Right? Go find you another congregation, because that's not the route we're going on anymore. They don't really want unity. What they want to do is enforce their beliefs on other people. Remember the cancel culture we were talking about? People who say, I want to believe what I want, and you need to believe it and accept it? It's the exact same thing. Here it's happening in a religious sense. We're moving forward. Uh, we're going to promote things that are not taught in the Scriptures. We're going to move forward with it, and you need to like it. And if you don't like it, then shame on you. You're a bigot and a spiteful, hateful person. Just leave. That's exactly what our cancel culture is doing, not just with the pride issue, but virtually anything. Virtually anything, right? If you don't like somebody, just call them a, call them a name. Uh, and if you say it enough, people start to believe it, right? They're, they're a horrible, hateful person. Uh, read an article today. Does anybody know, who, well, anybody know who Charles Barkley is? Charles Barkley said, I am going to quit doing my commentary, basically, on TNT. He's been a basketball... Uh, actually, he's pretty funny. He said, they told me that I couldn't, I couldn't make jokes anymore. And he said, they're trying to cancel culture every single thing in life. And he said... I'm 60 years old. I don't have time for that stuff. I'm just going to quit. He said, I can't even say anything anymore because somebody will accuse me of being hateful. That's the culture we live in. Whereby we know that it is the last time. What's he saying? The appearance of all those opposed to Christ is a part of the events which precede the end of the world. Right? We just talked about everything's going to pass away. This, this ties right in with the previous verse. It's not a standalone. The end of the world's coming. You can know that it's coming because all these things here are going to take place. You're going to have people opposed to Christ, people opposed to the teachings of Christ. Some of those are even going to be members within our own congregations. We have plenty of passages talking about how faithful people are going to fall away, like dogs returning to their vomit and, and sows uh, who were washed returning to the mire, right? All of that stuff is going to continue to take place until the end of the world. It's going to take place during this last dispensation. 
now he begins to actually talk a little bit about some people would break this down into two ways. Some would say these were actually Christians who became unfaithful, and some would say these people were not Christians at all. They were actually deceitful, uh, false prophets. I think the two actually kind of go hand in hand as we look at this, especially considering what uh, John is talking about and the group that he's, that he's talking about. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. All right. They went out from us, but they were not of us. He is implying here that these antichrists were apostates of the faith. We actually have an allusion later down in the book that, that literally calls them false prophets or and or false teachers. I've debated a little bit back and forth were they, were they really not of the faith and they simply came in to appear part of the faith to deceive people away? Or were they of the faith uh, and they had fallen away? I've gone back and read and read and read. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, for example, uh, the, preterist, the preterist group. Now, I know, I know members that are today, they call themselves, they may not like the term preterist. Maybe we'll use some other terms. Uh, the A.D. Max King Doctrine, or the Max King Doctrine. Oh, no, wait, they don't like that term either. Uh, maybe they'll call themselves realized eschatology. Now, some don't like that. We might call them hyper-preterists. No, they don't really like that either. Whatever they call themselves, some of them were faithful Christians at one point, and they were deceived. Some of those very same men, and actually it was occurring here in Michigan, some of those very same men were going to congregations, and they, they believed in preterist doctrine, but they didn't tell the elders of their congregations, and they didn't tell the people in the congregation that they were hyper-preterists. Anybody know why they kept that information away? What would happen if they told people that they believed in the Max King doctrine or hyper-preterism or whatever they want to call it? What would have happened? They'd have been told probably to do what? Leave. And... You might have even a preterist watching this saying, well, that's not taking place. When I was in Fort Wayne, we had a man. Now, luckily, he was honest. He called me on the phone and said, I called the congregation up in uh, North Fort Wayne. I told them I was a preterist. They told me I was not allowed in their building because it's dangerous. I said, and he, he believed the same plan of salvation. He believed everything. We talked on the phone. The only thing he didn't believe was that Jesus was coming back. He believed that had already taken place. It was a, a number of things. But anyways, I said, you're required to worship. And you can come worship with us as long as you do not teach your doctrine. I was a little naive, possibly. However, I still don't think I did. I don't, I don't think I was wrong. He needed to worship. He's commanded to worship. He's in error. He's still commanded to worship. And we would have worshiped with Zach as long as he would have had he abided by that. But he began to weasel in, and he began to try to teach people his doctrine. Right? I think the reason he primarily was worshiping with other congregations, maybe he, was, maybe he knew he needed to worship, but I think part of his agenda was, and that's why he was teaching people, he had come in kind of like a snake slithers in, and he was trying to convert people to his doctrine. Some of these people that we have described as we go forward kind of almost fit into the same category. Here, he says, these people, they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. 
Zach was not of us. Zach didn't continue with us. Zach came in for a while, and Zach began to try to teach preterism. But then when he was called out and we bought books for everyone in the building, we gave every household one book that refuted preterism after I called somebody and asked for advice. And he said, publicly have a meeting, publicly call it out, give everyone a book so they know how to refute it. I think he, how long did he stay? One or two weeks? That was it. That was it. He left because he'd been found out. So he wasn't of us, and he didn't continue with us. We weren't in unity on that, on that item. He's describing the same issue they're having, as a matter of fact. Some of the most unfaithful people are often those who were once outwardly religious. I would say these people who claimed to originally be of them, but later had left, which he says they were not of us. How many, how many of you would think that possibly many of them seemed outwardly religious? Think about the lukewarm scripture. Yep. What God's going to do with those? I were they're not. I mean, he's like, I, I were that you were cold, or were that you were cold or hot, but you're lukewarm, and I'm going I'm to spew you out of my mouth. I mentioned the name of somebody to, to my wife on the way over here who has not been to this. He never became a member here or his family. However, he worshiped off and on with us. How long has it been since we've seen him? And I, I told her, I said, he's an unfaithful Christian. He falls into that category of lukewarm. They haven't been here since I couldn't tell you when. Everybody knows it's the truth, but we just don't say it out loud. Where, where, where's he been? Where, where have him and his wife and his children been? I can understand you get busy in life and you, you might have to miss a Sunday or something, but when we haven't seen you for a year, I don't even know if you're lukewarm at that point. I would say you're probably an apostate, complete apostate to the faith. That comes across as hard, but I mean, that's what I was discussing on the way over here. Where's that person been? For a year. Haven't seen them probably. You've got people who appear outwardly religious. They may go to work and they talk all the time about religious things. Outwardly they appear religious, but they're not faithful. Uh, these people may have been faithful at one time and then they've fallen away. It is very sad to think that the same problem we're having right now isn't any different than what they were dealing with in the first century. People who were at, once, at one time faithful or appeared faithful, and then you find out, nope, they weren't of us because they didn't continue with us. And they may, have gone into, uh, they may have gone into a number of beliefs at the time, right? Gnosticism, they may have gone into... Uh, you have People don't realize how early the church went apostate. I mean, we are talking the very end of the first century as the church is actually already starting to build into the hierarchy that we now call the Catholic Church, right? They don't officially call themselves that. Uh, really, you don't have the first pope until 692. 692 by memory, uh, but the Catholic Church started their hierarchy very early within the end of the, really after the first century, about 150, you start seeing, uh, you had bishops, archbishops, instead of having a bishop over, bishops, plural, plural, plurality, over a congregation, you had one head bishop who was over, I want to say it was nine congregations, basically, so they had, they had bishops over the congregations locally, but then you had one over top of that. That started really early on, right? I'm the chief bishop. I'm over the other bishops. The hierarchy system for what we now call the Catholic Church started not really that long after the first century, and it didn't take very long before they went into full-out apostasism. And when you talk about the Catholic Church, it is a, what's the Catholic Church a mixture of? Christianity, Judaism, paganism. 
If you want to attract people, just well-round yourself and pretty much pick a everything kind of fits in, goes mentality. Kind of like the community churches do today, right? They're fine with all that, for the most part. They don't have an issue with it. So the same problem they had then is the same problem we have now. He says, for if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. Well, had they been true and steadfast Christians in their faith, they wouldn't have fallen into such state of being as an antichrist or opposed to Christ or opposing specifically the faith, which when you talk about the uh, Gnostics uh, who are into dualism and all kinds of other stuff, when you begin to talk about those, they were, they were parading themselves as Christians just as you had Judaizers parading themselves as Christians. But the Judaizers, what were they trying to intermingle? Judaism and Christianity. Then you had the Gnostics. They were outright denying that Jesus Christ in the flesh was actually the Messiah. And they had some really weird teachings about that. So you would have had a number of those different groups, Judaizers and uh, the Gnostics, the Gnostic groups. You would have had a number of them who would have weaseled their way into congregations, and they appeared to be of them. We learn later in the book that they were actually teaching things that were not true, which is why they were opposers to Christ and to the doctrine of Christ. And so their leaving in their opposition shows that they were not faithful converts to Christ. Does that mean that they were never converted to Christ? They may have been converted to Christ. How many know somebody who was converted to Christ, became a Christian, but is no longer a faithful Christian? And it could be for a number of reasons. They went into atheism. They went into agnosticism. They became a part of a denominational group. They skipped all, all of that together, and they went into like a community church. Could be a number of different things, right? Same thing in the first century. Know what's going on there? All right. I usually check my slides. We'll just leave it there. First John two twenty. Oh, this leads into some problems. Not because it's hard to understand; it's because of the word. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. Who in here has recently used the word unction? Nobody? I have not either. Unction, what's he talking about? The word there is the word anointing. That's how it's normally translated. However, when you look the word up, uh, it comes from the Greek word charis, um, and it's the word for grace. That totally changes as we begin to look at this, what that really means. The word here comes from the word for grace, but it includes the idea of a gift. Before we go any further, when people say, oh, well, I'm saved by grace, what they oftentimes mean is, is I can do whatever I want, and God will overlook that, and I'm saved by grace. That is totally different than what a Christian means when they say they are saved by grace. I, as a Christian, do not deserve to go to heaven. I don't. <clears throat> I've done a lot of bad things in my life. I don't deserve it. Nobody here who has ever sinned in their life deserves to go to heaven. However, once we learn the gospel and we obey it, our sins are washed away, aren't they? And as we live faithful, we continue to be in a righteous relationship with God. And when we sin, we can go back and repent of that. We have fruits of repentance. We no longer do those things. We continue to walk in the light. And the blood continues to cleanse us, 1 John 1, 7 through 9. So when I die, 
I literally, hopefully I die quick. I don't, want to, I don't want to sit in a bed for six years and be sick, right? Hopefully when I die, the, loss, the last thought through my mind is, is I have been faithful, and I know if I'm found faithful when I die, that I get to go to heaven, right? But is it because I earned it? No. Is it, is it really because I deserved it? Well, in a sense that, yeah, I was faithful, so I do deserve it. But two, it's only by God's grace. So, when we talk here about having an unction or receiving, it really the word here is grace, receiving from the Holy One, and then he says this, notice the comma again. Ye have an unction, or this, basically this grace, this receiving of grace, from the Holy One, and he says, comma, and ye know all things. Many teach that the Holy One here is the Holy Spirit. And then they teach that the gift is the anointing by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I found that on a Church of Christ website this week for this passage. Does that cause any problems for anybody who studies your scriptures? It should. First of all, there is no indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He does dwell within us, but He doesn't... He doesn't physically dwell in my body any more than Christ or God. We're told God is in us. We're told Christ is in us. I don't believe Christ is literally in my body. I don't believe God is literally in my body. Uh, I don't believe in uh, pantheism. Does anybody know somebody that believes God is literally in everything? Like God's in that tree. God's in that rock. God's in the grass. No. This idea that the Holy Spirit is in me is a serious issue. Not only that, this is... Go ahead, Larry. If he was in your body, if he was in your body, would anybody have a problem with me genuflecting right before Larry and bowing before God? By all rights, I should be able to, shouldn't I? If he's literally in your body? But he's not literally in your body. This If he was in my body, I could quote the entire scripture right now. Good. You can't separate this unction from knowing all things. This idea right here that people teach, that the Holy One is the Holy Spirit, and this is the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it is wrong for so many reasons. But if they were right, and they're not, but if they were right, if you believe that the Holy One here is the Holy Spirit, well, what is received in context would have to have been in the first century, what? Miraculous gifts. Would have had to have been. What did you receive from anybody as far as a holy one, whether it was God, Christ, or the Holy Spirit in the first century? A miraculous gift. So if this was the Holy Spirit, that could be the only thing that you're actually receiving by, by grace or receiving. But here's the problem. You guys go back and look up this phrase, holy one. I did. I looked it up every time in the New Testament. And every time that phrase is ever used in our New Testament, it always refers to Christ. In every passage it is used. So this is not talking about the Holy Spirit. This is talking about Christ. What all Christians received from Christ contextually appears to be tied directly, and Wendy was already ahead of me, directly to the knowing of all things. Well, what would that be? That leads us over to 1 Peter 1.3. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him, that have called us to glory and virtue. 
And when I fall into this category, I will assure you I am not an antichrist, which is what we were just talking about, weren't we? You know that I'm not an antichrist or opposed to Christ and or the doctrine of Christ. And I have His grace, and the reason I have His grace is tied directly to this, because I know all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Let me finish this one passage. We're almost done. I can't quit in the middle of it. The all things were those things pertaining to godliness, 1 Peter 1.3, as described in the gospel, which results in the free gift of God's grace. But it's through Christ, the Holy One, right? So we are anointed with grace because of our faithful adherence to this knowledge. We're not like the antichrists. We're not opposed to Christ. We're not opposed to the doctrine of Christ. We know all things that pertain to life and godliness. Because of that, we are faithful in Christ, and because of that, we have grace bestowed upon us, right? This is the opposite of the previous verse describing antichrists who do not faithfully receive the knowledge which pertains to godliness and eternal salvation. So here's the last statement, and we'll quit. John's making a distinction here between the saved and the unsaved. He clearly talks about them going out from among them. Antichrists, in verse 18 and 19, are opposed to the Holy One, Christ, and the knowledge of His will, while Christians are are receiving His blessings and grace because of their faithfulness. You see how it all makes sense when you break it down like that? I hope it does. It made sense to me when I took my notes. <laughs> Go ahead, Jerry. Yeah. Oh, you will. Yeah, you're going to be opposed to Christ. You'll be opposed to His doctrine. Most people will read... How many passages did we even get through today? Four or five? Most people will read that, and they will not get hardly any of what we just talked about tonight. They'll, they'll think to themselves, who are antichrists? And the sad part is, is a lot of people reading that literally fall into the category of antichrists. They're opposed to Christ, and they're opposed to His doctrine. Now, again, if they want to do that, that's fine. I don't see anywhere in my New Testament where people are forced to become Christians. They go around and they taught the gospel, and for those that uh, they didn't, they also though didn't cast their pearl before swines. They tried to teach people the gospel, and if they didn't want to hear it, they just moved on to the people that wanted to hear it. Unfortunately, that describes a lot of people in the world around us. I think Joe's got the charge here, so I'll hand it over to him.